Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Oops, sorry. (laughs) Nothing, Siri, I'm sorry. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We have been gone a series on stewardship. And last week I told you that stewardship means to manage and take care of something that someone else owns. You are a manager of something else that someone else owns. And last week I talked about your life. Now if you believe in Jesus Christ and you have been born again into a life that, that he has offered to you which you could not have done for yourself, he has bought you with his precious blood. He owns your life. And I mean, he owns everything in your life. And as this passage says that there's no creature hidden from his sight and all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Just like last week, there'll be a time that to the one who owns, I mean, think about it. If you, if you, own, uh, if you own a certain, let's say you own a certain number of stocks, but then you have some, if you have, um, an investment manager who runs that, he's a steward to you. And there must be a time when you say, hey, show up here and show me what you've done. That is our whole life. There'll be a time when we are called to account. And last week I talked about your whole life is a life that he gave. But today we're going to talk about something that is very important, the most precious and the most scarce commodity that is the most important for us to steward is our time. A lot of people think that money, oh, that's the thing that, you know, we, we're, we're always trying to save money. We're always trying to make sure we have enough money. That's the thing that seems scarce to us, that's so very valuable. And when, a lot of times when we think about the subject of stewardship, it's going to be about oh, money. He's going to talk about money. And I, I will talk, I'm going to get there, but not, not today, not even next week. We're going to talk about the, the commodity that nobody gets so much more of than everybody else. I mean, we live in a, a city where literally some people have almost endless amounts of money. 
I mean, I don't think that's any of us in this room, all right? I mean, maybe you wish that that would be the case, all right? But, and you, but you have opportunities to make more wealth. But what you can't do is you can't make more time. <laughs> now, I said last week that, that uh, you can't bank on living 80 or 90 or 100 years. You never quite know how much time that you have. Right? Um, I actually looked it up this past week that in, in, um, in, uh, in American life, life expectancy, in California life expectancy, I found some odd, odd, interesting things, that if that California life expectancy is 81 years. Right? Uh, if, you're, if you're Asian, it's, you're, you're better than that. <laughs> if it's Asian, it's 86 years. Right? Um, if, if you're Latino, it's 83 years. And, and apparently, if you're Caucasian, it's a little worse than that. Okay? But it's right around. And that's, in, that's in California. And I was, I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And I said, 86 years. Uh, I'm 43. And I came to this realization. I'm at halftime, right? I am at halftime. I have, if, if, if indeed I get 86 years, and I may not, um, I, I don't have as much time as some of you. But in any given day, in any given week, nobody gets more. Nobody gets more than 24 hours any day, and nobody gets more than seven days in a week. And so we're going to talk about time. And I'm going to talk about time from this text, I mean, I, I, you know, you guys know I have a tendency to get too excited and talk about too much, so I've got to be really careful. I, there, uh, this week, I learned so much, and I was really blessed so much. And this week, of always, I'm like, dude, you got to pare this sucker down, right? And just cut, 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 cut. So I've got to be really careful today. Um, so three parts, as I always do. First, part one, Egypt or the Promised Land. This passage as it talks about time, it, as it talks about your day, it talks about today, it talks about a week, it casts us into a story about Egypt or the Promised Land. That's part one. And it's very, very relevant for how you look at your time, how you look at your week. Part two, busyness and inner chaos. Busyness. Are you a busy person? Hmm? I bet you most of you would say you are a busy person. I'm a very busy person. Uh, um, busyness, but in it is an issue of your heart, and there's a chaos inside. And part three, the thing that we are really, really looking for, the thing that we most need, is what we need is Sabbath rest. We need rest. Um, as I get into this portion, uh, Egypt or the Promised Land, in order to understand this passage, which our sister Anna very you know, nicely read for us, um, as, you know, you're probably reading it, the, the author of Hebrews, quite frankly, he's, he's kind of odd, he kind of tends to talk in a somewhat meandering way. And, but what, we're, what I did for you in this passage, of chapter 4, verses 4 to 13, is I, I just kind of plunked you into the latter portion of a discussion. And um, in order to understand what he's getting, we need to actually go back. So if you have your Bible there, I'm going to take you back. And I think this is worth doing. It's going to, be, it's going to, it's a, it's going to take a little bit of time, but it's worth doing to take you through chapter 3. This discussion starts back in verse 7. And I'm going to read through this thing and help you to understand how he looks at your life and how we, and when we go through this, I'm going to, this, how this is going to help us be stewards in terms of the way we think about time. Now, verse 7 of chapter 3. Now, follow along. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, we're talking about today, we're talking about a day. 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. You're thinking, what are you talking about? I'm going to get at this, right? Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Immediately what he's doing is he's casting our life today into a story that spans back to the Exodus. And he says, our, and so this is God speaking. Your fathers put me to the test. And so what he's saying is, back then, there was a time your fathers lived in a land which was the most powerful superpower of its time. It was the most advanced civilization that had the greatest technology, that had the greatest government, that had the greatest governing ruling power. And you live there and you were controlled there. Does that kind of make sense? Does that seem relevant to you? <laughs> that you are called, that you are cast into a story where you lived in a superpower with all its technology and all its rewards and all its demands and all its pulls. That's where you were lived. But... You lived in this land called Egypt. Except today we don't call it Egypt. Today we call it America. <laughs> and we call it Silicon Valley. And in that land, you were enslaved. And God called you from under the boot and under the enslavement of Pharaoh to come out. And he had a promise to take you on a journey to a new land, a promised land, that would bless your life, where you would not be under slavery, you would live where, where there would be land of flowing with milk and honey, and your heart would be freed. Right? That was the promise. But here was the problem. If you weren't going to get there instantaneously. You were going to have to go through a journey, a difficult journey. And it would take, a, it would take some time. In, the, in their case, it took 40 years. But listen, and here it says, listen, verse 10. Therefore, and this is God speaking, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now listen. There was a people. God freed them out of slavery. And then they were given a promise to go into a land and as they travel into the land, they would hit certain kinds of hardships and certain kinds of fears. They would hit a place and like, we might run out of water. <laughs> we might run out of food. Or they would begin to grumble and say, did we not have? And then this is what they would do. What they would do is their hearts would go astray. And even though they were on a journey from God himself to a promised new land where there was freedom, you know what they would think? Wasn't it better in Egypt? Let's go back. In Egypt, we wouldn't run out of water. In Egypt, we had all the food that we could want. In Egypt, we didn't have to fear about dying. In Egypt, um, they would even say this, you know, I'm getting tired of eating manna because God keeps giving us this food every single day, but I'm getting tired of it. Isn't there enough meat? We had nice meat and we had onions and leeks and that's literally what they said. They even talked about the variety of food that they had in Egypt. So their hearts would long back for Egypt. And you know what this God, this made God wrathful. And let me put this, not to scare you too much, but 
God basically burned some of them, <laughs> killed some of them, diseased them, and they did not make it. They did not make it to, this, to the promised land because he was angry. And in the author of Hebrews, he's saying, today, so it says, today, when you hear his voice, this is the same drama. The same drama as going from a time of slavery when we are moving toward a promised land. Let me go on. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. Hear it. Every day. As long as it's called today. Do you hear it? We're talking about time. We're talking about what you do today. How you live each day and the drama of the day. As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. Today is today how you will handle this day. How you will manage this day, how you will think about this day. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those with, with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. What is the fundamental drama of today? That you would hear a voice from the Holy Spirit, which was God himself, that there is a promise awaiting you to a journey where there is rest. Would you believe in that? Or will your heart run toward Egypt? Faith and what you believe is the first order of how you shape the day. What will you believe? What's the story of your life? Now look, part one I said is Egypt or the promised land. Right when you wake up in the day, does your heart run to the promises of all that God has to give you, a rest? Or does your heart think, okay, I got to do everything that Egypt tells me to do. I got to work out. I got to pay for this. I got I to gotta make this money. I've got to, to, to schlep my kids back and forth and make sure they do their homework. I'm the one that's got to get all these things done, and then this is the way my life will work out. I've got to get all these things done. But you see, there's all these good things that, that Egypt is promising us, and there's always a stick that Egypt threatens us with. But will you run back on your day and say, let Egypt, Egypt and Pharaoh be the conditioner of your life? Or will you understand that your whole life runs more toward a promised place. Is that the drama of your day? Now, let me continue, because this, this is, it's gonna, this is, I'm going to give you something about that helps you how, how you look at your day and how you look at your week. This is from the scriptures. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news 
came to us just as to them. Let me put it this way. For the gospel, whenever you hear good news, you should hear the gospel, came to us just as it did to them. There was a freedom from slavery, which was offered to us, but which was offered to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were united by faith with those who listened. The message of the gospel did not benefit you if you will not unite yourself in faith with those who listen and go on this journey. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, and then it goes on to say, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Now listen. The whole, there's a, there's a drama of a journey from Egypt where there's enslavement that dominates your day and today, and your heart is the thing that runs astray. So it's not even just time and the way you, you work. Many of you, I know that if you ask, are you a good manager of time? Most of us would probably say, no, I need to improve my time management. And there's lots of books and tips out there, which probably I'm sure most of you guys don't read because you don't have time to read the books on time management, okay? <laughs> you might read an article at best on time management, all right? Um, but most of us think that there, and some of those are, have good practical tips, but really it's not about practical tips. It's our heart that runs astray. There's something wrong in our heart. And Egypt owns us. And the way the author of Hebrews presents it is, is there is, we are moving toward a Sabbath day. That all of your life, really, the author of Hebrews looks at our life as like a week. That God, the whole of life is supposed to be encapsulated into seven days. Look, if you do indeed live 81 or 83 or 86 days according to you know, the, the life expectancy charts of, of the CDC, that's where that data comes from, of, of Californians, you have a lot of different weeks. But actually, what you should do is you can begin to assess your life through one week. Your whole life is really not 86 years. It's a series of weeks. And your whole life should be seen as one week because there will ultimately be an ultimate Sabbath rest. That the promised land is a Sabbath day. And it's a Sabbath rest that will last forever and forever. That's the, that's the way we are to look at the day. And each day when you wake up, do you move toward rest? Do you move toward promise? Do you run to this promised land? Or are you stuck and mired? angering God because he's like, come on, come on. I did not free you so you could run back to Egypt. I did not free you so that that would be, they would own you. I freed you for something else. I think this is so important as we look at, think about each day and our, and our time and our week. What is your week like? What is your week like? Are most of your weeks harried and worried full of worry and anxiety and exhaustion and irritability? Or is your week filled with a hope, conditioned by promise from God? Or really it's more conditioned by threats from the world or little hopes that you want for quickly from the world, Egypt or the promised land. That's how 
first to look at the day and to look at the week. It's part one of my message. Um, part two, I want to talk about busyness. Um, are you a busy person? You can nod your head. You a busy person? Would you consider yourself a busy person? Um, this week, it's, it's interesting. Um, uh, I got this book. I read it this week because it was so appropriate for this week in preparation for this message. But I got this book um, a while back because I, I, I heard about it in another context. But I want to commend to you a book, which you should all read, by the way. <laughs> and it's not a long book, and it's, and it's uh, mercifully not long. And he, he deliberately, the author deliberately did not make it long because he knows that if it was long, you wouldn't read it, okay? Um, but the book is called Crazy Busy. A mercifully short book about a really big problem. <laughs> and it's written by a pastor named Kevin DeYoung, D-E-Y-O-U-N-G. And I commend this book to all of you. Um, I got it on my Kindle, and it didn't cost much. And uh, for those of you who are, there's a, there's a chapter on, on um, how parents are super busy because we are enslaved by the expectations of perfect parenting. Moms and dads, that one chapter alone is worth the price of the book. <laughs> Just say that right there, right? That one chapter, I read that chapter, I was like, oh, dang, right? <laughs> it's like, I suck, all right? That was just, that was convicting chapter. Um, that one chapter alone is worth the price of the book. And, um, but I really commend, there, there's so many things, there's so many nuggets in this book that I, I wish I could share with you. But I, like I said, I gotta, I gotta be, um, I'm gonna just cut to this thing. Um, look, um, your busyness. Uh, I want to get to this right. Let me let me read this. Right. Many of us are less busy than we think. Listen. But life feels constantly overwhelming because our days and weeks and years have no rhythm. As we saw in the previous chapter, one of the dangers of technologies is that work and rest blend together in a confusing mush. I think it's really true in Silicon Valley. Because we're so dependent on technology, and then we do our work through our technology. By the way, I'm not only talking about people who work in corporate America. Moms, stay-at-home moms do their work right through your iPhones. (laughs) So it applies to people who don't necessarily so-called go to work, because you have plenty of work, too. We never quite leave work when we're at home, so the next day we have a hard time getting back to work when we're at work. We have no routine, no order to our days. We're never completely on and never totally off. So we dawdle on YouTube for 20 minutes at the office and then catch up on emails for 40 minutes in front of the TV at home. Do you hear what he's saying? Because we got this little device, (laughs) you can work whenever you want. So when you're at work, you're thinking, oh, I can get it done later. So when you walk into work, you're like, okay, I can spend time on ESPN. And you plop through the article, and you're like, I'll get that work done later. So then when you get home, and you're supposedly off work, you're like, oh, yeah, now I've got to get my work done. So instead of hanging out with your kids, you've got to spend 40 minutes on your emails. Don't a lot of you do this? You flop back and forth between Facebook Email, Facebook, get this done. Oh, let's go to that Evite, respond to that person who invited me to this thing. Oh, wait a second, this person asked me to do this thing for hospitality team. So it's even, not even the work work for, you know, you, to, to make your money. It's the work of ministry. Huh. 
This is the way we are. Perhaps this arrangement works for some, less some employers and may feel freeing for many employers, but over time, most of us work less effectively, whether it's in the home or out of the home, and find our work less enjoyable when there is no regular, concentrated, deliberate break. This is the way it's all mushed together. We're so free, we get to do whatever we want, whenever we want. This is such a freeing device, right? When I first got this, um, a, a younger brother that I know, he asked me, hey, you got an iPhone. Um, I didn't get one until the, th uh, until the 3 Series. I didn't, my, first, my first smartphone was the, the 3GS, right? And he said, how do you like it? And my answer to him was, um, I really like it, and I'm starting to kind of hate it. It bothers me because... I'm not sure if I own it or it owns me. <laughs> and you know, we think we're all free, but this is the way our life is. There's all, and there's so many things to do. And you know that, that, and he even says in this book, we're busy, and it's not bad. We're, you know why we're busy? Because we have a lot of good things to do. We're busy because there's a lot of good to do. There's the work that we do, which sometimes we don't like doing, but there's, it's, some of it's good. And then there's the ministry work. I hope you guys consider the ministry work that you guys are a part of good. My work is ministry. <laughs> I hope you guys think that the work I do is good. I, don't, I know I don't always necessarily do a good job, but I hope you think the work that I do is worth doing. I think you probably do. That's why you come to this church, right? Huh? Um, and then there's even the so-called free time. <laughs> There's a, even that makes us busy because, because the things that we want to do are in our leisure. Like we want to, there's so much of it that we want to do. Um, uh, you know, on Friday night, just to give you a, a little a picture of my busyness, on Friday night, um, I had a meeting at church. I went home, and then I had to finish traffic school because I got a ticket a while back, and it, it, it was due soon. And so I was finishing my traffic school, because you can do traffic school online. And so I was trying to watch a movie with my wife and do the traffic school at the same time. <laughs> I was trying to do it at the same time, right? Um, and uh, thankfully, I, I passed the final exam, blah, blah, blah. And then my wife went to bed, and I'm like, man, I don't want to go to bed right now, because I just did traffic school. That's a lousy way to go to bed. And so I'm going to watch a little TV. And I watched... I didn't even really watch TV. I started running through my DVR, and there's more than 100 things on my DVR. So I decided to delete some of them. So I started fast-forwarding through some of it. I'm like, okay, I've seen enough of it now. Delete it. <laughs> and I spent two hours doing that. <laughs> and then I went to bed tired, and um, I'm, I'm now admitting all these things in front of my wife, and she's going to go home and yell at me about it, all right? And so now, this is what we do. We're so busy with even the leisure time because I'm greedy about my movies and my TV shows. Uh, um, in, in, in this message, I was thinking, you know, I should go home tonight with my wife and we should just delete like 90% of it. Like we should just do that. So then I won't even be tempted to waste time looking at it. Just delete 90% of it. So Grace... We, we get to do that tonight, okay? And I'm going to be like, oh, I want to watch that movie. No, it's just got to go. Boom, right? And because and I'm greedy even about my leisure time. And that's why we're busy. But I want to give you 
share with you three dangers that Kevin DeYoung sees in busyness. Spiritual dangers. And how the busyness kind of just unravels us. And you guys probably can feel this, right? I feel it. Danger number one. The first is that busyness can ruin your joy. Busyness can ruin your joy. Um, I read this in Kindle. You guys ever read Kindle? Kindle has certain things, underline. You know what those are? Those are the most popular highlights. Let me read one of them to you. I read this, and when I read it, I was like, oh, right? It said, um, and I said, wow, I'm not the only one that this particular line stabbed, right? It said, um, one study found that, oh, no, no, that's what we're facing. When our lives are frantic and frenzied, we are more prone to anxiety, resentment, impatience, and irritability. Is that true with you? Are you often irritable and have measures of anxiety? Um, I just got off a year where I homeschooled my daughter. So I carved out this time to spend good time with my daughter, but because I gave her this big chunk of time, it made my life so much more busy. Because I have a lot of pastoral work, I have other things to do, you know, just for our household stuff, and then I now chunked out my time for my daughter. But so you know what it did? It made me really irritable. So here's this time spending with my daughter where I should be offering her my heart and my wisdom, and if she would do something wrong, I would bark at her because I was irritable. Are you, like, are you guys like that? Do you guys drive a little too fast or maybe a lot too fast and um, say certain very bad words that come out of your mouth <laughs> when the person in front of you is slow in the fast lane? Okay, I mean, I try not to say those words, but, but I'm thinking them. <laughs> Irritability, joy, your life, you're too busy. The Christian life is running toward rest and joy. Patience and kindness is supposed to be, is part of this fruit of the Holy Spirit. Is that what's flowing out of your heart? Is that, or is there irritability and anxiety Resentment. Because this person is sucking up your time and this person is, is annoying. This person is falling apart. And you know what? This is why we don't love each other. Because if I show up at your life and I'm hurting and I'm falling apart, we go like, I'm really busy and I wouldn't like it if anybody showed up with their, their hurts and their problems. So if I show up with my hurts and my problems, um, I would probably annoy them. Maybe even begin to, they would begin to resent me if I started to suck up their time and their energy. So we don't even have deep love relationships. We're so busy. We're worried about them being busy, so we can't even do this. How are we supposed to have joy? Um, A second danger is that busyness can rob our hearts. And here he, he cites John Calvin. Calvin says the human heart is a thick forest of thorns. And he's citing the passage, and this is a passage that I think about all the time as a pastor, where Jesus says that the gospel gets sown, and there's four different types of hearts. And by the way, your heart is shifty. Your heart could be one kind of heart one day and another kind of heart another day. Like the one of the hearts says, well, the, there's no soil. So the soil of the gospel is thrown, but your heart is just like the roadside, and so you don't even receive that word. Some of you may be like that this morning. You're like, there he goes on and on again, all right? Or like, oh, gosh, I'm tired of this message already. And so you hear the gospel this morning, 
and then it'll be out of your head, you know, a minute out, out to the door, or maybe even, you know, one minute into the prey song. But, and then there are, there's a stony ground heart where it's, there's no, there's, the soil is very thin. And so the, the word goes in, you may receive it, but there's no root. And then there's no conviction. And then there's no obedience. And then there is no changing of your life. And so then it dissipates quickly. But the one that Calvin is talking about is the thorns. There's soil there, and the word goes in, but there is a lot of distraction. There's a lot of competition. There's so many other things going on, the word cannot sprout and fruit come out. Hmm? You know, for, for most of us, it's either worries about this life and all the things we got to get done. I mean, isn't that what a lot of your life is? is uh, you know, your day, you wake up in the day, there's a series of worries. And those are the things that, that shape your day. Um, there's even a name for it in our culture. They call it the tyranny of the urgent. These are all the urgent things I must get done. And those are the things you worry about today. And tomorrow there's a whole other one, whole set. And then, of course, there's all the things that we, we fill in, whether it's TV, the movies on the DVR, all the work you've got to get done, or the next thing that I've got to do to make my kid perfect. Perfect parenting. That's a piece of Pharaoh, by the way. He says in this book, he says, we, we, try, we try to run, get rid of all the legalisms in our culture, except parenting. <laughs> in our culture, the parenting is like the heaviest legalism there is. And all the parents out there feel like, if I do this, I'll damage my child, and I will suck. <laughs> all the parenting legalisms. Wow. <laughs> all the thorns in the heart. Busyness in your heart. The third danger is that busyness can cover up the rot in our souls. Are you guys like that? There's something rotting, or maybe there's something hurting. There's levels of pride. There's levels of just deep, just dryness or cynicism. You start getting the, you know, churches have, like, you know, are, are just like people. You know, there's times when you're on a good roll, and then there's times you hit a valley. You know, churches can go through this. You can go through, you can go through a season of worship when you just show up expecting nothing, you know? That's cynicism. And that's a piece of rot in your soul. But if you're too busy, you're with your work, I find that I've been thinking a lot about the, the patterns of, of, my, of my life and, and it's the things that my wife and I do. Um, this is kind of the way, like my wife and I, we lead very busy lives. We're, we're kind of like type A type parents. <laughs> I mean, come on, we're, we're type A parents. I try to homeschool my kids. We send two of them to private school, one of them to Chinese immersion. I mean, that, that, those, those are stupid parents. Good parents and stupid parents and stu- good because we're stupid and stupid because we're good all at once. And, of course, we want to be good Christians. That's why I'm the pastor. <laughs> and that's why she's the pastor's wife. And we want you to follow the Lord. And then that's, we want to love you well. Do you know that I feel guilty if some of you guys call me and say, man, pastor, this is what I'm going through. My, this a hard thing in my life. And then I can't come help you. You know, I feel guilty about that. 
So we're intensely busy people. And so you know how my wife and I handle it at times? We watch TV at night. That's, my, that's how my wife relaxes. But she's good. She can turn it off after one show. I'm like, I'm compulsive. I want to watch the next thing on my DVR, which is why we should really get rid of the DVR, okay? Um, and, but she watches one hour of NCIS. I fast forward through a football game. And, and you know what? I don't feel rested after it's over. I go, football, thou rest me. That seems like an Egypt kind of promise. Are you guys like us? You guys relating? I'm not sharing this with you because I'm proud of this. I'm sharing this with you because I'm just not as holy as I'd like to be. You know what you really need? Your day and your week to run with a rhythm. That's what Kevin Young says. You've got no rhythm. Do you know that the Bible, right in Genesis, God set up life. Six days you shall work, one day rest. God rested. I mean, he even made himself an example. God never gets tired. God never gets irritable. God doesn't even need sleep. But do you understand that you are finite? That you are, you are limited? God, you can't do all the work. You can't do all the ministry. You can't get, you can't do everything. There must be rhythm in your life where you do work and you really do work and then you must stop and rest. You take a look at your week. There should be, when you work, you work. And then you stop. You know what Sabbath literally means? Stop. That's what it means. When the Israelites were in Egypt, you know how many days they worked? They worked seven days. And then when Pharaoh got mad, he said, you make your own bricks now too. Which probably meant they didn't get to sleep. But God designed us so that actually not even one-seventh of your life but one-third of your life, you know what you're supposed to do? Rest. One-third of your life, you're supposed to rest. I know some of you guys are going like, oh, I don't really need it. You know, you most, you we're supposed to get seven and a half to nine hours of sleep. Does, who, gets, who here gets, I, don't, I won't make you raise your hand, but you can just think of me in your mind. Who here gets seven and a half to nine hours of sleep? Right? You go like, well, I'm above average. I don't really, I, I can get by on six. Um, let me just tell you something. If you get by on six and then you need you know, two cups of, of Starbucks to do that, you're, you're, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> you can't. You're cheating. You really need to rest, even in your sleep. And what we really need is to orient our life toward a rhythm of work and then rest. Work, when you work, you really work. You know that if you go to work and you spend 20 minutes on, on Facebook, you're cheating your, you're cheating your employer. That's not faithful work. If a, person, if a person were to go out in the field and say, oh, we're going to till this field, and then I'm just going to sit here for an hour and look at my Facebook, <laughs> that wouldn't be very good work, would it? I, don't, I mean, just can you imagine that? But the Lord put us at work, and work was actually supposed to be good. So when you work, we should work. But when you know what? When you stop, you should stop. And this can't happen 
unless the whole story and promises of God, and you have a different Lord over you, not Pharaoh, not you. By the way, if you are your own Lord, Pharaoh is your Lord. (laughs) And if the story of 21st century Silicon Valley is the way you run your life, you're in Egypt. You need a different story and a different journey. And your life has to be a week. And every week, are you more like me? You work and you and you try to like escape through a little TV, but then you get to Sunday and you're kind of limping in. You're limping in? Hmm? But actually, every day should be like, I run toward the Sabbath. I run toward my promised rest. And Jesus has a rest for me. Every week, we must give him this. And every day, you must start off with the day saying, this is my week. It's one week out of many weeks. And this week is the story of my life. I'll work for him, and then I'll rest. And I'll rest in him. I want to close with this. This is the way um, Kevin DeYoung puts it. Anytime we talk about what we should do every day, we must make clear what Christ has already done for us. You know, every single day, you must tell yourself what Jesus has done for you. This is the way, this is the way um, this text puts it. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. You know, that's another way of saying it. Joshua took them to an actual land which became Israel. But did they get the real rest? If Joshua could do it, then how come there needs to be another day? How come there needs to be another true Sabbath? You know what he's talking about? He's saying Joshua wasn't good enough. Moses wasn't good enough. Certainly you and I are not good enough. You know who has to take you into the rest? It has to be Jesus. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has, rest, has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Don't you want to rest from your works? We can rest because he worked. We can lay down our prideful busyness because he laid down his life. We can keep coming back to him in the midst of our failures because he did not fail. And he keeps all his promises to us to offer us rest. Look, rest is not just something that's going to happen when we get to heaven. That will be the ultimate, ultimate rest. God offers you rest today. God offers you rest every week. And he wants you to wake up each day and put that story in your mind. Come to my Sabbath. Run to my promises. Run to my promised land. Make me your Lord, not you. Make me your Lord, not Pharaoh. There are things in your day that you need to work hard on and do well. And then there are things in your day that you know that you can, you can do that with C minus, and you should not feel guilty that you, you don't do that with an A. And then there are things in your day you know what you can do? 
that you, don't, you feel like you shouldn't do or you don't want to do, you can cut them out. <laughs> and then the Lord will say, and now sleep, and now rest, because I'm your king. You'll always be safe with me. That is what we must believe. And that can only come if you first trust in the gospel and that story, and you let that be every week, every day. And you set aside this day to rest. And you set aside every day to work and then to rest in him. So let me leave that with you. No more to Egypt. Go to Sabbath. Go to promised land. And rest in a king who finished a work for you so that he can offer you the most ultimate rest. And we can live gladly with joy, without anxiety and irritability, without fear, each and every day for him. Let's pray. To a busy and chaotic people, Lord, there's a chaos inside of us. And just as you did on the sea, Lord Jesus, would you stand up and just say, peace and be still. And may our eyes begin to see the most important priorities to allow you to speak and hear your voice each day and let you say peace and let what should sprout in our hearts fruits of repentant, fruit that only can come from your spirit and not all the weeds and thorns of irritability and anxiety and the me, me, me and the greed of my pleasures and the fears of my work, Lord, and the foolhardiness of the Pharaoh, which is the lordship of me. Instead, Lord, I pray that you would turn us into a people that would work hard, but not without franticness, that will work with a joy and a steadiness when we work, and when we rest, we laugh. We will truly rest with together, because we rest in you. I pray that in the future weeks, every Sunday, every Sabbath day, I know so many of us, we show up on a Sunday, it's like, oh, it's a piece of legalism. It's a work. <laughs> but no more. We come. Say, I'm going to stop. And today, I'm going to stop trying to be Pharaoh. And I'm going to let Jesus be my king. Today I want to repent. And today rest in him. And tomorrow learn to work rightly and have a rhythm. Have God's rhythm. Have the blessed rhythm of a journey to a promised land. Weeks shaped by the Sabbath. The ultimate rest can only come from Jesus. Make us this way. Make our church this way. In your name we pray. Amen.